Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Playsheet Podcast. I'm Charles, and I'm here with Joe. <laughs> hey, guys. Misery aside for me, Joe, as a Green Bay fan, I've got to admit, after what we discussed last week about how super wildcard weekend wasn't that super, uh, you've got to say this weekend was pretty awesome. Find me a better divisional weekend in the history of football. Someone will surely come up with something else, but I mean, what a weekend of football we have had. There hasn't really been a duff game. You could maybe argue that the Green Bay San Fran game was duff for maybe three quarters. It ended in spectacular fashion. But I mean, what a weekend of football. We've had some games for the ages. Yeah, I mean, every single game ended off in a walk-off score and three of the four games were won by the lower seed teams. It was full of drama. Well, every single game had even score when the clock hit zero. So the game was tied when that ball was in the air and when those clocks went to zero. I don't think that's ever happened either. Every single game being tied at zero zero on the clock. Yeah, absolutely fantastic. Obviously hated the Green Bay game, but loved every moment of the weekend. So let's get into it and let's start with the first game of the week, which was Bengals versus Titans. And let's dive into Tannehill because he's getting a lot, a lot of grief at the moment. I mean, certainly on Sky, they went all in on him after the game. What is your view, Joe, on Tannehill and the importance of Tannehill and the Titans' success? I think Sky were a little bit harsh on Tannehill. And yeah, he threw three picks. Fine, right? He he didn't have a good game. I'm, I'm not for one second pretending he had a good game. But we've spoke about this a lot recently. This is a symptom of commentators and talking heads just being far too extreme on their reviews of players. When Tannehill was playing with a quarterback rating of 150 plus last season, suddenly he was in the MVP conversation. Suddenly he was one of the top three quarterbacks in the league. All of this kind of nonsense, which was never true. Ryan Tannehill has never been that good. And he's not suddenly a bad quarterback. He's always been probably, if you're going to rank quarterbacks from 1 to 32 in the league, he's somewhere probably between 10 and 20. Maybe in the middle there, a very like middling average quarterback. That's what Ryan Tannehill is. Now, the reasons that Tennessee lost on Saturday weren't just because of Ryan Tannehill. Now, they should have won because of their defense. Their, their defense was outstanding. I, like, if you feel bad as a Green Bay fan, imagine how Simmons must feel after the performance that he put in. Free sacks, free tackles for losses, free quarterback hits. I mean, he had one of the defensive performances of the playoffs all time. Great play. So the defense was good. But on the offensive side of a ball, Derek Henry was not himself. And I'm not sure if that was rust. I'm not sure if that was him not fully recovered from his injuries. But 20 carries for 65 yards, that's not a Derrick Henry stat line. Meanwhile, Dante Foreman had four carries for about the same amount of yardage. Now, one of them was a 45-yard streak. Fair enough. But Dante Foreman seemed a lot more effective, yet they were pounding the rock with Henry a lot more. So personnel choices, that's a factor. Basically, the only people who Tannehill threw to, now I need to look back on the tape to see if this was because they were open, the only players open, or whether that was just Tannehill, but the ball was only going to AJ Brown and Julio Jones. I mean, no one else was really getting a, a, a look in there. So team building and the depth they have in the receiver core is another factor. Tannehill's not an elite quarterback, but this kind of vast swing to say in that he's their ceiling, he's the limiting factor, I think that's been created by the nonsense that's been spouted about him when he's just put on a streak of decent games last season. Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely with you in terms of I think the talking heads are far too reactionary when it comes to things like this. 
And I think you've done really well in pointing out the fact that when he strung a few good games together, they couldn't lick his boots fast yeah, enough. And yeah, now, yeah. now suddenly he's the worst quarterback in the world and they'll never progress with him under centre. I think that just goes to show the reactionary kind of clickbaity comments that come immediately after a loss like that. I'm with you. I I, I think there were plenty of factors at play. And actually, there's quite a few parallels, although they were very different games, between the Titans' loss and Green Bay's loss. You know, Rodgers was only throwing to Jones and Adams. And you had here Tannehill only throwing to AJ Brown and Julio. One runner was being more efficient than the other. Obviously, we had a, a runner came out of our game in Dylan. So there, there are a lot of things, I agree, factors other than Tannehill that led to the loss here. You've also got to, you know, look towards the Bengals and say hats off to the way that they played as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I do also share your assessment that I think Tannehill is quite a middling quarterback. The thing I would probably say is can that team support a middling quarterback only to get them over the edge. Yes, they've got Henry, but you've just seen when he's not as efficient as he's used to being, what do they have there in that team? Great defense, as you mentioned, but maybe it does need something more than Tannehill to get them over the edge. But I think it's how the team is set up. This team is set up to be a play action team to be run first, run again, run some more, and then we'll get you on a play action. And when you're set up like that, and that's what your play calling is, it's far more important that that run game is established and working because at the end of the day, most quarterbacks are pretty good when they've got the run set up and they can just go off play action. Like that's kind of bread and butter for a lot of guys. So I don't think they need to look at Ryan Tannehill to be upgraded. They need to be looking to get the line more effective the defense as consistent as it was in the playoffs because the defense was very good and then just a set but sometimes you're going to get beaten by better teams at the minute the bengals like you very rightly pointed out they've just got swag the bengals are playing confidence fearless football right now and they got beaten by a better team of titans for all these people saying that Tannehill is the ceiling let's not forget the titans were the number one seed and the titans were the number seed without henry for half of the season and generally in nearly every year that we see, the MVP is the quarterback of one of the number one seeds. And I'm not saying for a second he should be the MVP. I'm just saying put things into kind of context. And I think the criticism leveled at Tannehill is a little unfair. I felt it was very wrong when people were making him out to be great, but it's unfair right now. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And then, as you pointed out, you got to feel pretty hard done by to get nine sacks on Burrow and still come away with the loss. I think there's only been one other case in NFL history where a team has had eight or more sacks and then gone on to win the game in playoffs. That's crazy. That's crazy. But again, that just shows the swag of Burrow. Um, that Burrow is playing to this level basically without an offensive line, which is mad. When you look at the performances he's been putting in, he had a free game streak for the ages where he was, you know, throwing those bombs to Jamar Chase, throwing 500 yards a game. He's been doing that with a very, very poor line. Yeah. Although the one thing that I would say that I think I really noticed in this game was with a lot of those sacks, he was holding on to the ball for far too long. There was this weird refusal of his to just toss the ball away. And, and he lost a lot of yards in some of those sacks. 
In fact, some of them took him out of field goal range. So I think that is an area of his game that he just needs to learn to better understand when to chuck the ball away if he's in danger. I feel yes and no here. I feel yes, you're right. He has to learn to chuck the ball away. He's got to find it out. He's got to be able to get rid of that ball even if he's just going to throw it out the sidelines. Yes, agree with you on that. But the reason he's holding on to the ball for so long is just that's how the Bengals play. They're playing these, you know, these this vertical passing game where you've got to wait for the wide receivers to get open. They're not playing short little dink it up to a running back or a slot guy. They're playing big and that takes time to open up. Right. Should we should we move on to Green Bay, Joe? Let's talk about Green Bay. Do you want me to intro it for you, Charles, or do you want to... Um, yeah, do please do. The the least talking I can do about this, the better. <laughs> so things started off great for Green Bay in the later game on Saturday. First drive was a touchdown. I think I texted our fantasy group at that point and said that it looked ominous. I mean, you had Rodgers smiling. My wife, just for context, she hates Aaron Rodgers because of those smug smiles that he keeps on doing. She's normally quite a passive person, but she hates him, and she was getting quite annoyed early in the game. He wasn't smiling for that much longer, Charles. <laughs> no. They basically didn't score another touchdown for the rest of the game after that first drive. Punt, followed by punt, followed by punt. The only thing really going was Aaron Jones on the ground. Special teams were horrendous. Let's bring you in here, Charles. What's your view on the Green Bay special teams? Well... If you've listened to the podcast throughout the whole season, you've heard me talk about Green Bay special teams more than once. They've been awful all season. This has not been a surprise. I suppose really the only surprising thing is how much Matt LaFleur has gone to bat for them throughout the season. Criticism has been leveled at them throughout and he keeps saying, no, it's fine. They're fine. Look, that's not the thing we want to focus on right now. Well, <laughs> I bet he's rethought that now. Uh, yeah. Would you perhaps go as far as saying that Green Bay would have won had special teams been at least at an average level? Uh, yes, I would. But I don't think that special teams were the only reason that Green Bay lost. I think there's quite a few troubling factors that contributed to that loss. But yeah, I do think that if they were even average, that wouldn't have happened. Yes. So what I'm saying is they may not have been the only factor for Green Bay not winning the game. But had they played just decent, Green Bay would have won. Oh, for sure. Because, you know, San Francisco scored off a block punt? Yes, they scored off a block punt and they got two field goal kicks. That was it. They didn't score an offensive touchdown and they beat Green Bay at Lambeau. <laughs> and how many did, did uh, Crosby miss? Well, he had a blocked field goal, yep. which was remarkable. He was one of two on field goals. He got the only extra point from an early drive, but Corey Bajorquez, not one for that punter to remember, really. No, definitely not. And look, you've, you've got to say it was a weird game because defensively, both teams looked awesome. If we're talking about other factors outside of that special teams that, you know, special teams certainly cost us the game, but they wouldn't have cost us the game if we had a half decent offense going. I think there's a few factors at play there. I think one of them, I'm speculating here, but Aaron Rodgers gets annoyed when people drop passes and there are a few drop passes in this game in the cold weather but which there were a few bad throws as well though weren't there there were a there few were bad, bad throws, throws as well a hundred percent you have to look to rogers for that and in the end he just became so predictable because all he looked to do was pass to Devonte adams and aaron jones but i think the other thing that massively didn't help is i don't understand why we messed about with our O-line so much. I think there were three or four 
changes to either personnel or positions of personnel and it couldn't have looked leakier. They were getting to Rogers just every single play, bringing the pass rush. And if there's one thing you know from Bucks last season, you've got to protect Rogers in that situation or he crumbles. And the exact same thing happened again. Absolutely. Look, I'm not going to twist the knife. I'm not going to make you feel bad because you can always turn around and say Vikings didn't get to play off. But um, we're going to look at this in depth. We're going to look at this in depth in the offseason. It's going to be one of the videos that I do. But real quickly, fire answer, who's going to be throwing passes in Green Bay next season? I mean, I think it will be love, but I think you've got to manage your expectations to what that will bring. And I, I'm not convinced that it's playoff football. More importantly, I think, the question that not enough people are asking, who's, who's catching, catching passes? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I am not convinced that Devontae Adams will still be here next season. He's not going to want to stay. No, of course he's not. He's already made it perfectly clear that he wants to leave with his buddy. And he has, you know, every right to hold that opinion. If that's what he wants to do, then fair enough. And this is where the conversation is stopping for so many news outlets. They're talking Aaron Rodgers and they're talking Devante Adams. But what not enough people are talking about is free agents next year, Lazard, MVS, ESB, Randall Cobb's going to get cut as a salary cap casualty. The whole wide receiver room is going to be gone. Yeah, I think Mercedes Lewis, uh, like, yeah, you're absolutely right. Tonyan's a free agent as well. Yeah, so I, I have no idea who's going to be catching the ball. And whilst to a certain degree that didn't really matter when you had Aaron Rodgers under centre, I think it definitely matters when you've got Love under centre. 100% agree. I don't think this is a very bold prediction, but I think it could be a while until you're seeing Green Bay in the playoffs again, Charles. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think we need to see what we've got with Love. First round pick. First yeah, round pick. Well, yeah. His performances haven't impressed me, but I, I also don't think he looks like the worst quarterback in the world. He, he could be a serviceable quarterback. And if he is halfway decent, you know, you might be able to build a team that can be challenging for playoff spot again in maybe two, three years time. But when I say challenging for a playoff spot, we're talking wild card. We're not talking, you know, top seed. And are Green Bay fans ready to accept a serviceable quarterback? There's been Hall of Fame standard quarterbacks starting for the Green Bay Packers for basically the last 30 years with Brett Favre and then Aaron Rodgers. It's been a long time that Green Bay fans have been blessed with such talent. Are you guys going to be used to living in the slums with the rest of us? <laughs> it's going to be interesting, you know, because right now, coming fresh off that loss, and really, I mean, this one hurt so much more than our defeat to the Bucks last season, or even our defeat to San Fran before that. I felt like in those two situations, we were beaten by the better team. This one felt really tough to take, and it was a casualty inflicted by ourselves. And so... Part of me is thinking, actually, lowered expectations. Is it going to be easier to kind of deal with for a bit? I don't know, because as you pointed out, you know, I've been fortunate as a Green Bay fan to not have to go through the drama and toil of coming bottom of the division or can we even make playoffs or, or any of that. So I, I don't know how much that's going to suck. But uh, there's a small part of me that thinks, will it suck more than thinking we've got a shot 
at the ring and then going out in the first divisional round in an embarrassing fashion like this i don't know great well there's so much to talk about green bay we won't dwell on it for too long and i think for your mental health we won't dwell on it for too long either <laughs> let's talk about one that was a great game for the neutrals rams against buccaneers sunday's first game what have you got on this one charles honestly i have to confess so i watched the beginning of the game I watched to half time and at that point I thought this is toast and I just sort of d- drifted then you know kept an eye on the score but wasn't fully invested and then boy did I get dragged back into it pretty quickly towards the end they made Brady bleed his own blood right <laughs> yeah <laughs> you don't make him bleed his own blood there's a comeback coming when he's in a good mood and we saw peak Brady for a moment there. And the haters will hate. The haters will say what they'll say about his first half performance and all of that. But his legacy is already cemented as the all-time GOAT. There's no doubt about that. But this would have just added further to his legend had they managed to get across the line. As it would happen, Stafford and Cup had something to say in the matter and managed to get a game-winning field goal off in the last seconds to win the game. But I mean... This has opened up a lot of questions for both teams. We saw the vulnerability of the Buccaneers. We have seen this at times through both this season and last season where they can give up points to teams. Where those younger, not rookies, because players like Antoine Winfield Jr. aren't rookies, but those younger, less experienced players who were an integral part of their Super Bowl success also are open to mistakes at times. And that's ultimately what led to the game-winning field goal from Antoine Winfield. But they can give up points. They can give up points and they can go quiet in games. And we saw that through the first three quarters. They finally came alive, but it was just a little bit too little too late. What do you think this says about the Rams? That they were 27-3 up and allowed the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to get into this game so convincingly. So close after another game where they were 17 points up and then lost that to the San Francisco 49ers. Yeah, it's a tough one because when Akers dropped that, well, he fumbled twice, didn't he? He fumbled in the first half and then again in the second half. But I was having flashbacks to even the Green Bay game where Jones fumbled. Look, that Bucks defense is so good at forcing fumbles and it's so good at, at creating those scenarios. I don't know how much I necessarily put that on Cam Akers. When I look at the fumbles, was it because of poor positioning, poor play. I'm not so convinced it was, Joe. And so, yeah, I mean, we have seen the Rams crumble from time to time this year, but I I just think this, as you said before, it was Brady postseason and it was the defence in certain areas stepping up from the Bucs. I wouldn't be too harsh on the Rams, personally. Do you buy the narrative that a lot of the media are given that Stafford makes the most mistakes when he's at his most confident? I mean, it is an interesting one. I could buy into that. I don't think there's no evidence to support that. I think at times he seems to have this bit of a saunt and swagger and he can make boneheaded decisions. So, yeah, I I think that could be a factor. A counterpoint to that argument, then, though, but surely he would have been the most perfect quarterback ever when he was playing for the Lions, which he wasn't. <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> no, but again, it, that could be an ego thing. That could be a hero complex. Like I, I've got this. I can sling this. Who knows? But yeah, he does seem to throw more interceptions. A when the Rams are winning, often by two scores or more, and as well, the kind of 
muffed snap, which went kind of over his head. Not his fault entirely, because he clearly wasn't paying attention to what was snapped. But again, your quarterback, you should be controlling that whole environment. So it was clearly something that went wrong for that to happen. And he's at least partly culpable. So those mistakes were coming in in this game when the Rams were a long way up. I just feel that there is a bit of a trend here, Charles. I know that you've, that you've said it was the Bucks kind of forcing their way kind of back into the game. But you'd think that after the San Fran game where they were 17-0 up, lost the game, what, 2017, that someone in the locker room would be saying, you know, we've got to get these wins, we've got to keep our foot on people's necks, we've got to force the matter here. They got away with one here, but I think there are questions about the mentality and concentration of this Rams team. And now that this has happened twice, if they do get into a lead either in the conference championship or if they get past that Super Bowl... Our doubt's going to start creeping in. And is this going to become a self-fulfilling prophecy that the Rams can't hold on to big leads? Yeah, perhaps. But I suppose the thing is, do you think that if we talk about gameplay-wise, do you think the Rams did anything wrong there? I mean, towards the end, they were looking to run the ball. I, I think they did the smart move. But, you know, when you have it punched out of your hand, you have it punched out of your hand. I, I just don't, I don't know if there were that many mistakes made by the Rams as opposed to forced errors from the Bucks. I agree with what you're saying, but it's the accumulation, Charles. It's the yeah. accumulation. You can say, all right, yep, yeah, Cam Akers got the ball punched. That's one thing. But then when you're 27-3 up, then that should mean that it's 27-10 and you've got the ball back. But it wasn't. It was an accumulation of mistakes, of the bad snap, of the ball getting punched out, of going from you know scoring a touchdown on most drives to suddenly doing a 20-second free and out. It's it's just this, uh, this accumulation of, of just allowing the game to get away from him, which I admit is quite an intangible thing and quite hard to be objective about. But we've just seen this a little bit from the Rams and it's, it just seems to be a trend. Yeah, I agree. So let's wait and see. They now go on to play the 49ers and we can talk about previews a little bit later on. Let's finish off, Joe, talking about the Chiefs and the Bills game and, oh, the poor Bills Mafia. Oh, Bills Mafia probably the best fans in football and I'll say that as a Vikings fan everyone loves the Bills Mafia but what can you say this this was a game for the ages it's going to sting mightily that they were on the wrong side of it but sometimes you just come up against Patrick Mahomes and what can you do yeah and I think it's not like the Green Bay situation where you've let yourself down you know and you've you've not performed to your ability and things are looking doom and gloom You've got to say, what a tremendous performance from the Bills. They should be proud of that game. And you're absolutely right. They'll be stinging that they were on the wrong side of it. But there's so many positives to take away from this, I think. I think you're being too nice, Charles. Oh, okay. You know, look, look, the Bills are a team which I think a lot of people might have a soft spot for or or at least don't hate. You might not say that if you're a Jets or a Patriots fan. But they're a team that, you know, most people don't have a problem with. But look, they lost. And at the end of the day, you shouldn't be proud of any loss. They're out. They lost the game. They're not going to the championship. We'll remember this game in years to come when we're thinking back on, you know, good, exciting games. Remember that time when it was KC 42, Buffalo 36. You know, remember that time when it was 53-51 or where it was Rams to the Chiefs. You remember those awesome games. But they lost. And when people talk about who won Super Bowl and who's the Super Bowl winner, no one's going to be talking about Buffalo. So... I forget who it was, but a famous coach once said, the only thing you learn from losing is how to lose. Yeah, and I think, look, there's absolutely a lot of truth in that. Let's get into it then. 
in terms of performance, I mean, Chiefs were lights out. I know we talk about keeping the ball out of Mahomes' hands and that, you know, he can kill you if there's time left on the clock. But 13 seconds, Joe, 13 seconds. That's madness. There's always quarterbacks who you think can do that, you know, that one minute drill where there's so little time on the clock, but just getting it down to get a field goal. We've seen Aaron Rodgers do it. We've seen Drew Brees do it time and time again. Brady does it. Mahomes, I think, has just shown himself to be the master. Uh, 13 seconds is outrageous. But he did it. He did it. He spread the ball about. He found his receivers. My big question for this game. Now, there's been a lot made about how this Buffalo team were not built to win the division, not built to beat the Patriots. This team were built to beat the Chiefs, and they didn't beat them. So what do they need to do to be able to beat the Chiefs, to elevate themselves? Because as much as you say this game was close, a different day, maybe the Chiefs win by 10 points. So what are they missing still? Well, I I think the only thing that you can look at for this game is the defence, because... I feel like I'm going to be repeating a lot of things like that we said last week. You talked about whether Allen would show regression. Personally, I don't think he did. His passing percentage was still excellent. Four passing touchdowns, loads of yards. I think Singletary, again, he established the run. It caused the Chiefs issues when... Did he? Did he, though? Oh, the first drive was basically all Singletary. Singletary finished up with 26 yards for the game. Okay, well, yeah, quiet for most of the rest of it then, because that must have yeah. almost been entirely earned on that first drive then. Because I've yeah, this is what I'm saying. Yeah, he was busy that first drive, but then this is something that I think that the Bills did a little bit. Of. They went into this head-to-head battle and decided to make it a slugfest, whereas they've been winning when they've been relying on Devin Singletary more. I wonder if play calling would have changed things a little bit. Had they just established a run a little bit more, held the ball for longer, controlled that ball a bit more, got that defence a bit more tired out, I'm not saying it would have changed things, but it would have been a slightly different game. Yeah, well, I think, though, when you score that many points, tiring out the defence, when you look at that scoreline, do you not think that defence is probably where you start looking first? (sighs) It's hard to turn around and say after the performance we saw from the Bills last week where they just ended the the, uh, Patriots, that the defense is the problem. I'm going to say what I said last week, though. Consistency. We saw Josh Allen play well again, but the defense was inconsistent again. It's not a defense that can't perform when they need to. They just can't string it together for three, four games straight. And until this team can start to do that, they'll never get all the way through playoffs. Yeah. I think that's what it comes down to because the Bills have had some tremendous defense this year and they've had some tremendous offense. But as we know, playoff, you've got to string four decent games together, potentially. And I'm not sure where that comes from. I'm not sure if that's a flaw in the coaching, whether it's lack of leaders who are demanding performances week in, week out. It's extremely hard to say why a team's not being consistent when you're not in that training facility, you're not in the locker room every single day. But that, in my opinion, is what this team is missing. And until they find it, again, it's an intangible. It's hard to be objective about what you know consistency is. But I think that's clearly what this team is missing. So two specific moments in this game, Joe, that I'd like to talk about. Let's start off with the Hill taunt, because that has drawn a lot of chatter on social media. What's your view on what went down there? 
what I would say is, I'm not gonna weigh in too much on this, but I'm just gonna make one point, that the whole reason, the whole reason really, that we have the stricter taunting rules that we have this season, are because Hill got taunted last year. I'm so glad you mentioned that. So whatever conversation we have about that has to be put in the context that Hill was the victim that led to the law. That's all I'm going to say. What's your view, Charles? Yeah, listen, I am not a massive fan of the taunting rule in, in general. But the one thing that I would say is they've been reasonably consistent in officiating it all regular season. You know, they've called it quite often and quite regularly. And now they're seemingly not doing it in the postseason. All I want is consistency. Look, if you're saying to me, do you think that play deserved to be called back, you know, 15-yard penalty and you scratch the touchdown off the board? That would have been an absolute travesty for something like sticking a peace sign up to a defender as you burn him. But they are the rules. And as you said, they are the rules because it happened against Hill last season. Now he's doing the very thing that he was the victim of and is getting away with it. It comes back to my point when we were talking about Whistlegate. I just don't think you can pick and choose which rules you enforce and which ones you don't. And personally, I think if you've been calling it all season, it's a bit embarrassing not to call it now. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. And what was the second point you want to talk about, Charles? Overtime, baby. Overtime is, I mean, look, you watch a game like that, right? It goes to overtime and the Chiefs score a touchdown in their first drive. It's over. Allen doesn't even have an opportunity to retort. And some fans are coming away from that going, what? a letdown that that is how we end this by just allowing one team to have a go and the other team that's been so fantastic all game doesn't have an opportunity to to respond to that what's your view on this show you know do you think the overtime rules need to change are you on that side or are you happy with them as they are i think they do need to change but i just want to caveat this point that i don't like being reactionary i don't like it to be one unfortunate outcome or as in this case one all-time great game that's ended and then everyone suddenly wants to change the rules so i'm not saying this in reaction to this game in particular but i'll lay out why and i think that you can objectively prove why the current rules aren't fair if you receive the ball and let's just ignore special teams because we assume that's you know special teams will catch the ball and the other special teams won't make a play so take special teams out of the equation you receive the ball then you only need one unit of your team to function correctly to win the game. Your offense just has to go down there and score a touchdown. The other team who doesn't receive the ball through losing the coin toss, their defense has to show up. And let's not say, oh yeah, but their defense could then go and get a pick six or a fumble recovery for a touchdown because the likelihood of scoring a touchdown for your offense is far, far higher than a pick six or a fumble recovery for a touchdown. So those aren't feasible things. Your defense has to show up and then your offense has to show up. So both units of your team have to perform if you don't receive the ball. If you receive the ball, you only have to get your offense out playing well to go and win the game. So I think there's a massive imbalance of what you have to do and have to achieve if you win the coin toss or don't win the coin toss. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to argue against that, right? That is a a statistical fact, really. So I do agree with that. I suppose the way that I see it is that the coin toss is a part 
of the overtime situation. And the coin toss is meant to be the fairest way to kind of offset the unfairness that follows. I think the idea behind it is that the coin toss is 50-50 and that's what helps almost attempt to counterbalance the unfairness that may follow. My feeling is that without something like that, you run the risk of overtime situations dragging on and we know the tremendous physical strain that these players are under and how easy it is to pick up an injury you know we talked about seventh seed teams being in the wildcard situation you know what that does and the undue pressure it puts on certain teams and I, I just think there's a risk in dragging out that overtime situation and I think the coin toss is part of overtime look it happens Chiefs was it last season I think even they got beaten in overtime and it happens so it evens out like yeah now what i'd say though charles what i'd say is though you're saying that the coin toss is part of the you know decision making process so to speak but it's also part of other things a coin toss is used for example as a tie-breaking method when teams are tied for their record at the end of the season and who's going to go through to playoffs but before they get to the coin toss they go through so many other factors. The coin toss is the 12th thing they do after everything else fails. They'll look at the head-to-head, the one-loss tied percentage in the conference, in the division. They'll look at strength of victory. They'll look at strength of schedule. They'll look at net points. They'll look at touchdowns in games. As the very last resort, a coin toss is the deciding factor. And when we're making the coin toss such a prevalent factor here, it shouldn't be that prevalent. Like, I'm not saying that this is the answer, but rather than a coin toss, you look at which team scored more touchdowns first, rather than making it a coin toss. But if you're making a coin toss such an important thing, I don't think it should be that prevalent forward. I think maybe if you're going to choose what team goes first, do the team that had more touchdowns during the game. Why put it down to a coin toss, which is something which is pure luck, when you could put it down to something which is a little bit more objective? I think that's a fair counter. Yeah, and I could get on board with something like that. Listen, I'm not saying that the way overtime is at the moment can't be changed. I think if there is a better solution out there, then I'm all for reviewing it. I can certainly say this with, you know, some definitive certainty, Joe. I certainly haven't seen the better solution on Twitter or Facebook so far. (laughs) (laughs) No one's been sensible on there and it's too emotive right now. Everyone who's neutral has just seen one of the all-time great games. No one wanted it to end, so people were disappointed from that kind of point of view. Let's not get emotive about it, but let's think. If we are going to keep it, who scores a touchdown first and keep that rule, then why not make it a team that had the most touchdowns during the game gets to go first? Because they've achieved more. They've done something slightly better, so give them a first shot. Why not just something a bit more like that rather than a coin toss? And then it gives teams something to play for all the way through. Cool. So then let's look ahead to our previews, Joe. Should we start in the AFC? Yeah, we'll keep these really tight because we've already spoken about the games we've watched in quite a bit of detail. In the AFC, after the games we've just watched last week where three out of four of them had the lower seed winning, I think normally you'd look at this game and say, look, the Chiefs are really firing on all cylinders right now. Yes, their defense has been giving up points, but... Patrick Mahomes is in kind of full flight, full form. All I just say is that the Bengals have got a bit of swag about them. Such a weird thing to say, but they just have that self-assured self-confidence that normally where you've got a quarterback who's only in his second year, most of the receiving core only in their second year, 
a lot of young players in that team who are not only in their first playoff run, but the team's first playoff run for about 30 years. You'd think occasions might get to them, but we're just not seeing that. My head says Chiefs still, but I'm certainly not going to write off Joe Burrow and these Bengals. Yeah, I think I'm with you on that, Joe. Anyone in the Pickham's competition that we're running at the moment will see, I actually had Bengals to go all the way to Super Bowl. And I have Chiefs all the way. Uh, yeah, but I was just about to say, having seen Chiefs play against the Bills, like I was bowled over. I think they're going to be so difficult to overcome. But I agree with you. There is something that is almost unquantifiable about the Bengals' performances at the moment that could they do it? Yeah, they could. I'm with you. I think my head still says Chiefs, to be honest, but um, I'm hoping it'll be a close one because if it's anything like either the Bengals game that we saw this week or the Chiefs-Bills game that we saw this week, we're in for a good matchup. Absolutely. And then finally, just really quickly, San Fran Rams. I'll just start on quickly on this one. I really thought Green Bay were going to beat San Fran. So did I. Despite them seemingly have Green Bay's number and having beaten them in playoffs quite a bit over the last few recent years. I just felt that Green Bay were the better team and that San Fran would just get overpowered, especially with some of the injuries that they've had. I'm going into this game with a similar kind of mindset. I feel that the Rams are a better team. I feel that the Rams are playing better football. But the 49ers also have the Rams number and they've beaten them twice this season already. Shanahan seems to live inside McVay's head rent-free a little bit. Not that they're not good mates, but he just seems to know how to beat him. So look, my head says Rams, but also my, my head kind of says, yeah, but San Fran just have got their number. It'll be an interesting game. Yeah, again, completely agree with you, Joe. The, the thing that I would say is their offense was garbage in Green Bay, but then Green Bay's offense was garbage in Green Bay. And I, I don't know how much of that is down to weather on both sides. I don't know how much of it was down to the defense of both sides. But if they put out an offensive performance like that, I just do not think that they can contain the Rams in the same way that they contained Green Bay. So I think they need to come out scoring this time around. And I think we need to see Garoppolo get some touchdowns because I think for sure the Rams are going to get a few. But yes, I think Head says Rams, but you're absolutely right. You only have to look to the season and go, the 49ers have done them twice in the regular season so why couldn't they do it a third time and even if the rams get a big lead the 49ers came back from 17 nil down the rams nearly gave up a 24 point lead last week there's mental questions about this rams team so look both games could go either way i think we both feel that it's going to go in the direction of the favorites in both situations but we wouldn't be majorly surprised with an upset and talking of competition, Joe, let's just sign off with a quick little update from our competition. Who's top of the table at the moment? Neither of us. <laughs> I believe it is listener Dean who is currently top. He's top with 20 points, just ahead of myself with 18. Okay, so Dean in for a shot for what we call it, the Playsheet Podcast Trophy, a.k.a. the mug, and an opportunity to come on the show and uh, embarrass us with your knowledge. Yeah, because if you don't win, Dean, it will just be me embarrassing myself even more. <laughs> well, Joe, look, it's been a heartbreak for me this week, but I've loved talking about the games nonetheless, and I look forward to discussing some more next week when we're that one step closer to Super Bowl. Dry your eyes, mate. <laughs>